1: which benefits not only lawyers and their clients, but everyone. And moves us closer to the goal of access to justice for all. Tune in every month as we explore the new legal technology and the people behind the tech here on Law Technology Now. Hi, welcome to Law Technology Now, I'm Monica Bay. Our guest today is Dan Linna. Welcome. Thank you. You're more than welcome. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Thomson Reuters, Westlaw Edge. Dan, can you tell us a little bit about your
0: background? Sure, Monica. I'm a visiting professor of law right now at Northwestern Pritzker School of Law here in Chicago. I'm also affiliated faculty at CODEX, the Stanford Center for Legal Informatics, and I'm a co-founder and co-director of the Institute for the Future of Law Practice.
1: And tell us a little bit more about all of those.
0: Sure. Well, here at Northwestern, I'm teaching innovation and technology classes. Really excited to be here. Northwestern has a history of, of doing things at the intersection of law, business, and technology, and I'm teaching a few classes that fit in with that. A class on artificial intelligence and legal reasoning this fall semester. The next semester, I'll be teaching a interdisciplinary class with uh, I'll be co-teaching with another law professor, David Schwartz, and then a computer science professor, Chris Hammond, an innovation lab. And we're going to have law students and also computer science and a master of science and law students in that class and then teaching uh, a class assessing AI in computational technologies. I'll be teaching two versions of that class, one of which is out in the Northwestern San Francisco Immersion Program, and that's a class for business school students and law students. And then I'll be teaching a version here at Northwestern for the Master of Science and Law students of the assessing AI in computational technologies class. And then a JD class law of artificial intelligence and robotics.
1: Now, for some of the people who aren't really familiar with some of these things, tell people what AI is.
0: Sure, well, I tend to use a broad definition of artificial intelligence and just thinking about how can we mechanize human problem solving. And so we start in this AI and legal reason class that I'm teaching. Well, first of all, I have a great textbook, uh, Kevin Ashley, he's a law professor at Pittsburgh, wrote a, a book, Artificial Intelligence and Legal Analytics. And so we kind of walk students through understanding how we can create rules-based systems to provide answers to legal questions, but also how we can use data and machine learning, natural language processing to retrieve information, but also answer legal questions.
1: And tell us just a little bit more, if you don't mind on on your Chicago stuff, and tell us a little bit more about computational technologies.
0: Sure, well, the way I've structured this assessing AI and computational technologies class is that we're gonna create a framework for thinking about Demystifying the technology and the the couple of technologies we'll really focus on in those classes are artificial intelligence, again, machine learning, natural language processing, deep learning, but also blockchain and smart contracts and getting students to think to learn the technology to understand what it is all about. But also to think about how it can be used in business, how businesses are using it, but also in the practice of delivering legal services and then to think about the law around these technologies as well. Can you talk a little bit more about that, especially about big law? Sure. Yeah. And and one of the things that I've been doing and all the teaching that I've been doing is, is getting law students to think about innovation but really defining what that means and getting them to think about how they're going to use a combination of people process data and technology to improve the delivery of legal services and why we ought to be focused on that number one is to improve the access to legal services for everyone but even in large law firms and corporate legal departments lawyers are focused on thinking about how they improve the value delivered to clients. And so it's an important skill for the lawyers to, even in these big law firms, to understand how technology is being used to make legal service delivery, not just more efficient, but to improve the quality, to help clients get better outcomes. And we're seeing a lot of technology is being used for that. And I want to train lawyers, law students, to understand the technology, to really understand how it's being used so that they can assess it. And we can look at e-discovery for an example, where it's pretty common, you would talk about precision, recall, and F1 statistics. And we can do that for other legal service delivery methods as well to evaluate them technically like that, but also to be able to ask the right questions about how are these systems built? What data is being used? Where might there be bias in these systems? And that's another reason why learning these skills is really important because as lawyers, we're seeing algorithms used and and data used now everywhere in society. And I'd like to see more lawyers involved in the discussions about how do we build these systems? How do we assess them? How do we make sure they're transparent and, and auditable? There's a lot of opportunity for lawyers. And I think if we train lawyers to be part of that conversation, Lawyers can, in fact, add a lot of value.
1: Can you say what the smaller firms and the mid-sized firms might be able to be helpful for that? And are there any other ones that are really hot right now?
0: I mean, I think this is really changing the way all lawyers will go about delivering legal services. And it's a broad area when you think about legal technology. It can be all the way from practice management systems to using machine learning and natural language processing to really understand a a corpus of contracts, for example. So I think that it is important that we think about kind of like the problems that are being solved in big law, the problems that are being solved in the consumer market, the problems that are being solved in the legal aid market. At the end of the day, though, I really do think, and this is one of the things in the classes I've been trying to do, is to get us to recognize some of the differences, but also really understand that a lot of the work that's being done here can help us really improve legal service delivery across the board.
1: And one last thing on this, because I could talk all day on this one. What about the small firms? What are the things that might be really helpful for them?
0: Yeah, you know, I think one of the dangers in this whole space is generalizing too much about how any group, and, and it's a good, I'm glad you're pushing me on this, To think about small, medium, and large law firms. I think the delivery of services to, in the small law firm market, if you think about generally serving consumers, it's changing, right? And you look at Legal Zoom. you look at the way legal aid organizations like Michigan Legal Help and Illinois Legal Aid Online are delivering services with expert systems to their clients. I think you can learn a lot from that. But we've also seen lawyers who are, are serving smaller groups figure out kind of how to provide more information and make it easier for their clients to give them information that they need to help them engage in self-help where they need it. And it turns out that a lot of those clients they will come to the lawyer then, right? They want help solving these different problems. So I think there's a lot of opportunity around it and it really shouldn't be focused too much on technology. I mean, there's some great technologies, practice management systems, tools for document automation and things like that. But I think it's really important to think about the people and process part of it. What problems do we solve? Why do people come to us? How can we provide greater value in helping them solve these problems? How do we become more data-driven? There's a lot of opportunities for all law firms, large, medium, and small, to really think about, well, how do I differentiate myself as providing great value to the clients I serve?
1: Well, I promised I would get off that topic. We're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. Thomson Reuters Westlaw Edge is the most intelligent legal research platform ever. Powered by state-of-the-art artificial intelligence, Westlaw Edge delivers the fastest answers and the most valuable insights providing you with a clear strategic advantage. The advanced features on Westlaw Edge allow legal professionals to practice with a greater degree of certainty and confidence never before available. Visit westlawedge.com to learn more. And we're back. Boy, you had a lucky summer. Tell us the wonderful places and things you got to do this summer.
0: Yeah, well, I've, First of all, really, it started here at Northwestern in Chicago with the launch of the Institute for the Future of Law Practice. And this is something that it started with the Technology Lawyer Accelerator Program that Bill Moose built at Colorado uh, about four years ago. Who is he? Bill Moos, uh, he's been a longtime lawyer and he was a general counsel. He was a, a lawyer in large uh, law firms. And then he was hired as a scholar in residence at Colorado to put together this program really to help better prepare lawyers to, I mean, it was initially really focused on on working as a lawyer inside of a technology company on their corporate legal team. And that program, Bill Henderson at the University of Indiana got involved in that, started sending some of his students to that program. And they announced last fall that they really wanted to scale that. And I was fortunate to get involved with them. And and the three of us co-founded then the launch of the Institute for the Future of Law Practice. And we ran boot camps in Colorado and at Northwestern last summer in May, and those were three weeks of training. And then there was an advanced track that Bill ran with another couple of weeks of training. We had 40 students who went through the program, students from Northwestern, Colorado, Indiana, Osgoode Hall in Toronto, and Michigan State. And then they went off to internships. And and the real focus is on internships and corporate legal departments. And Cisco, one of our founding sponsors, took on several students, not just for 10-week, but for seven-month internships. We also couldn't have done those without the support of Elevate Services and Chapman Cutler as founding sponsors. But then those students went out onto internships. Some of them went into corporate legal departments. Some went to legal tech companies. And, you know, I'm really excited about that program. It's it's really focused on preparing lawyers to be better lawyers. And, you know, I've had great feedback from some of my Northwestern students who talked about getting this experience as a rising 2L after just one year of law school. Really gave them a way to differentiate themselves when they went to on-campus interviews. They were talking to these large law firms who are figuring out, like, how do we innovate? How do we provide greater value to our clients? And here are law students, when you're out of law school, because they went through this Institute for the Future of Law Practice program, able to talk about all the things they learned in the boot camp and, and the things that they were doing in their internships. So I think that, you know, I'm really excited about this program for uh, students at places like Michigan State, we had a few of our Michigan State students in, in there, and, I, and that's where I formerly was. But also for law schools like Northwestern, uh, you know, I think it really provides a way to add onto this great education they're already getting to help them differentiate and prepare them for the future of law practice.
1: Was there a second one? Do I remember that correctly, or was that part of the whole thing?
0: Well, you know, I also this summer. Then after that, I was in Madrid at IE Law School and at Buserius Law School in Hamburg, which you know, just amazing experiences. And at IE, they're really doing some innovative things. I was one of the speakers at the launch of their innovation farm, where they're working on projects and they have people with process expertise and they have law firms and legal departments doing projects, technology projects. But then I also spoke at the first meeting of their law head hub, which aims to be a think tank. And that was a a real honor. I gave a talk about demystifying artificial intelligence and assessing it. And uh, that was just a portion of the period. And then I facilitated a discussion. We had leaders from large law firms and corporate legal departments in Madrid. And that was really exciting because we got to engage the people in the audience and really have a great conversation. And It was really a place for, I mean, there were leaders from uh, Bank Santander, from Microsoft, Garrigues, Uh, all in the same room kind of talking about the pace of change and, and digitization and innovation and, you know, how do we do things not only to better provide solutions to the businesses who need it, but also to make sure that we're properly harnessing these technologies in society and generally and really making sure we offer our value as lawyers to others who are working on solving these problems.
1: Well, you sure had a good summer for sure. But moving on again, both of us were at the startup boot camp for lawyers. Tell us a little bit about it and how wonderful Jay was.
0: Oh uh, Yeah, I, it is a real pleasure to work with Jay Mundell. And I've gotten to know him well through Codex and this program at Codex, a startup bootcamp for lawyers. And a matter of fact, he came to Michigan as well this last semester back in the spring and did a mini version of this startup bootcamp for lawyers for my students at Michigan State and at the University of Michigan Law School where I was teaching a legal tech and innovation class. But it, it's a really great idea. I mean, putting lawyers kind of in this startup atmosphere and getting them to kind of think about if they were a startup and how they might generate solutions to problems and spot opportunities, getting them to really just think about how like startups think. And I love it for two reasons. One, it's so great to get them to understand startup culture, but it's also really gives them some awareness of kind of the problem solving methodologies in this space and thinking about kind of the basic scientific method and improvement kata design thinking. So it's, it's, and it's, it's so energetic. And the students come together and it really shows them how much you can accomplish in a really short period of time with a great process that really engages everyone on on the team and helps you keep iterating towards improving your product and solving a challenging problem.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And it was right after the Codex Future Law. So it was a very, very intense week. It was just great. Moving on. What should law firms learn from law schools?
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot that we can learn together, and uh, you know, I've really been trying to develop this idea of law schools as labs. And last semester at Michigan State, we had Perkins Coie, Davis Wright Tremaine, Ackerman, and Michigan Legal Help working in one of my classes. I had 23 students, and we used ThinkSmart and NeoLogic to build solutions to problems that they contributed, right? So that, you know, I think that really helped the law firms, you know, they learned a lot while working with us, working with our students. And we kind of went through this iterative process of building things so that we could learn as we we're going on. But I think that's an example, and I'm really excited about the innovation lab I'm doing here at Northwestern with computer science professor Chris Hammond and my colleague in the law school, David Schwartz, where we'll have computer science students in the class and we'll be working on problems from law firms, legal departments, and legal aid all in the same space. You know, so I, I hope the law firms and legal aid, corporate legal departments will learn about the process we're using to innovate, but I uh, we also want to use that process to generate substantive knowledge so we can all learn and advance the profession
1: yeah i I agree with you especially because some of the law schools are just the same old way they always were and that i think creates a lot of the same problems for the lawyers and everything else yeah so i agree with you on that here's a fun one 2020 is coming up very fast what do you see or want in 2030 and 2040.
0: Well, what I would say that we need right now is greater discipline and leadership, those two things. So we need discipline to get much more disciplined and we have to commit to systematic innovation, not jumping the solutions. And then we need leadership that identifies the clear challenges that we're tackling and, and to hold us accountable for achieving our mission, right? And I so I think, you know, we need to embrace these, these challenges, access to legal services, lack of gender diversity in the profession, bias and discrimination in our justice systems. And I think we're generally working on these problems, you know, kind of like you might say say, oh, well, I want to lose weight, right? But when you have these vague goals, it almost never works. And I think we have to set clear goals where we want to be. Like, for example, solving the access to legal services crisis within 10 years and then get disciplined. And Larry Keeley wrote this great book and 10 uh, Types of Innovation, where he talks about innovation almost never fails due to lack of creativity. It's almost always because of a lack of discipline. And we are not demonstrating that discipline in the legal industry. So if we want to solve challenging problems, We have to get more disciplined. And part of the way is to use the scientific method, the improvement kata, lean thinking, design thinking you know, it really comes down to where are we trying to go? What's the big challenge we're trying to to solve? What's our mission, vision? Where are we now? And then we all have ideas, right? Whether it's ABS or artificial intelligence or design thinking that's going to solve these problems. But we're making assumptions, we're jumping to conclusions. These are hypotheses. We have to test these ideas. And so if we have that kind of a disciplined, systematic framework for innovation and for moving forward, and we hold ourselves accountable, well, we can test these ideas and we can have metrics And so we understand what's working and we can start making progress. And that's what I'd love to see is that we demonstrate that discipline and that leadership now so that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we will have really made progress and it'll be transparent. We can see what kind of progress we're making as we go and we can hold ourselves accountable for making that progress.
1: Well, my next question is one that I do and I would say 80% of the ones I do. And it's a little bit what you just were talking about, but I'll ask you again. 80% of Americans can neither find a lawyer or afford a lawyer. What can be done about that and how do we break through it?
0: Yeah, I think it's just that we've got to get committed to solving the problem is a big part of it. That's that leadership and discipline that I just talked about in the last question. I think there are a lot of people who care about this and, and who want to make a difference. But I think the next step is we just have to set some clear goals, have to have a mission and a vision and have the discipline and leadership to keep working on the problem and and chipping away to solve it. All the resources we have in this profession and in this country, and we can't solve this problem. Absolutely, we can are we committed to it, right? Are we committed to solving it? How do we set some goals that we really hold ourselves accountable for making progress to do that? It's going to take time, but if we are making incremental progress, if we're doing things like lean startup, improvement kata thinking, where we're we're testing our ideas, measuring outcomes, and we have the right metrics, then we can make a lot of progress towards solving these problems, including the access to legal services crisis.
1: Very good, as always. My last big question for you is, Congratulations on the 2018 Legal Rebel. That's American Bar Association's ABA Journal. Tell me about it. I'm so I think that's so much fun and they, and it's so positive too. Tell us about your experience
0: there. Well, it's nice to be recognized. I think more importantly, this uh, the telling these stories helps uh, us all understand how the legal industry is is changing. Right? So and that to me is the key is just to see that uh, for a long time, even just 5 years ago, a lot of folks would tell me, "Oh, these are fads and things aren't changing." But I think we see a lot more evidence that things are changing, and we see many more lawyers getting engaged in changing. And you know, so I was happy to receive that award. I got the picture taken here in Chicago, and uh, but I made sure that I got it taken with uh, Lake Michigan in the background. And I, That's you know, great. Yeah, I wanted to make sure my ties to Michigan were, were represented there. Uh, although I love being here in Chicago.
1: That's great. Before you leave, please tell us how our listeners can reach you
0: on Twitter at D-A-N-L-I-N-N-A. That's the best place to reach me. If you're not on Twitter, there's a real great conversation about these topics going on. Otherwise, daniel.linna at law.northwestern.edu. Dan, thank you so much.
1: This has been another edition of Law Technology Now on the Legal Talk Network. If you like what you've heard, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. Join us for the next edition of Law Technology Now. I'm Monica Bay, signing off.
0: If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes.